going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, the passage that was read a moment ago, we're going to be talking about the Lord's spiritual house. Peter was writing to Christians who were facing tough times in the first century. Sometimes when we face difficulties in life, we forget who we are. Not only do we forget who we are, but there is the possibility that we will forget whose we are. And then in light of trials and tribulations and difficulties in life, because we are God's people and because we have certain responsibilities, it's not unlikely that we might forget what we're supposed to do. And so the Apostle Peter addresses these things in a very specific way in chapter 2. What I want us to do is to look at 1 Peter 2 and lift some of these verses out of the chapter and think first and foremost of what the Apostle Peter says, writing in the first century to Christians, reminding them and reminding us that first and foremost we are believers in the Lord. Note if you would in verse 5. Peter said, you also as living stones, as active stones, are being built up a spiritual house. The spiritual house that Peter is talking about here is the church, the church of the living God. The church that Jesus had promised to build. You remember the apostle Peter when he and the other disciples were asked by the Lord Jesus about his identity? And they said, well, you know, some are saying that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus asked in a very specific way, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And based on that good confession, the Lord Jesus said, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church that Jesus promised to build was a spiritual institution. And so Peter here is reminding those of us who are believers in the Lord that we are living or active stones and that we are built up a spiritual house. We are a part of the kingdom of God, the church. We are the saved. We have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. It is not only precious blood, but Peter tells us it is purifying blood. Look at verse 18 in chapter 1. Peter said, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, Jesus was the Lamb of God of whom John the Baptist said in the long ago, He is the one who would take away the sin of the world in John chapter 1 and verse 29. So we talk about the precious blood of Jesus, but not only is it precious, and it's precious because it was divine blood. God, as Paul said, spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. But it is purifying blood. It has the power, the ability to remove the stain of sin. Listen to him in verse 22. He said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a pure heart fervently, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So you think about people 
whose lives have been tainted by sin. We talk about the shame and stain of sin. And what Peter is saying is that God has an agent that has the ability through this agency your blood or rather your sins can be purified. They can be washed away. You can be made clean and whole in the eyes of God. So we are saved people, but not only are we saved people, but Peter would say that we are separated people. Note if you would in verse 5 again. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Look at verse 9. He would say you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have been separated and God has separated or sanctified us. The word sanctification means to be set apart. We have been set apart from the world unto a holy purpose. And really what the Bible is saying is that God has claimed us as His own. He has separated us for Himself. I want you to see something very quickly. Go back and look at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 7 for a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is speaking to the children of Israel and here's what He said to His people. In verse 6, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now listen to what he says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Now we talk about the fact that as God's people that we are unique and that we have been, that we have been saved and separated. He said you are a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. God has set us apart as His holy nation of people, just as He did the children of Israel in the long ago. And so as separated people, we have been sanctified. Not only have we been sanctified, but we are identified as saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and if you know anything about the Corinthians, you know that they had a lot of problems, morally speaking. They were known for their idolatry. They were well known for their immorality. So Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth and he said, to those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he said, they had been called to be saints. Every Christian today, every believer in the Lord has been sanctified in Christ and we are a saint in Christ, are we not? We are God's unique people. Now there's a second thing I want you to see and this really goes back again to Deuteronomy chapter 7 1 Peter chapter 2 not only are we believers in the Lord but Peter reminds people of all ages that we belong to the Lord that we are His special or His unique people. Listen to him as you think about how you and I are the special people of God. Look at verse 9. He said you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation. Now listen to him. His own special people. Back in the book of Exodus in chapter 11 in verse 7, before God called the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and he was making preparation to bring them out of bondage, he said in the long ago that you may know that the Lord has made a difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. 
God was saying in the long ago, look, you need to understand something. As my people, he has made a distinction. I have made a distinction. You are a separate people. You are my special people. Now, go back again and look at Deuteronomy 7. And listen, if you would, to what Moses said in the long ago. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. He said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. God has chosen you, that is the nation of Israel, to be a people for himself. And then he said, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You think about as a child of God how unique you are to him. You are his own special people. We are his own special people. We are his unique people. We belong to him. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we have been bought with a price. He said we are not our own. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our body and spirit. He said, which are God's. So we belong to Him. So what about this idea of being God's own special people? What, what's Peter saying when he said that we are a people for God's own possession? Well, let me just very quickly cite some things. Have you ever thought about your relationship to the Lord, how unique that is? Did you know that as a child of God, the Bible says God is your heavenly Father. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called, listen to him, the children of God. You're a child of God. You belong to God. And as, as a parent, and those of you that are parents today, parents, grandparents, how special are your children? You love them unconditionally, don't you? And you think about that unique relationship that you enjoy with them. So God is our Father, and we are His children. As His children, does He not claim us as His own? Yes, He does. Is there not this special tie that exists between us? Absolutely. Just as your children are bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh, we are unique in the eyes of God because we belong to Him. So I think about our relationship to the Lord, but not only about our relationship to the Lord, but our relationship in the Lord. You see, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we are people of like precious faith. There's something unique about us as believers. There is this common bond or thread that ties us together, doesn't it? You remember the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42? When Luke said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship? He talks about how all the believers were together. There was this sense of unity, cohesion, if you please, that existed among fellow believers. We have a unique relationship to one another. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter would say that we are to love one another with a pure heart fervently because we're children of the King. And as a matter of fact, let me just add this. We talk about our relationship to the Lord and in the Lord. Do you know what a blue blood is? 
You know, we talk about people that are royalty or special people. Did you know that as a child of God, you are a royal blue blood? Because you belong to the king, don't you? Is Jesus not the king of kings and lord of lords? And so we are a part of a special, unique family. We are God's special treasure. He has set us apart for himself. So we talk about our relationship to the Lord, in the Lord, and then what about our riches in the Lord? If you're a child of God, you are rich. And I'm not saying you're rich financially speaking or materially speaking. You may be. But more importantly, you are rich spiritually. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul talks about how all spiritual blessings reside in the heavenly places in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 7, Paul would say that you might enjoy the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness through Christ Jesus. Note, if you would, the emphasis that Paul places on His exceeding riches. Have we not been made the recipients of God's mercy and grace? Yes, we have. Do we not enjoy all of these great spiritual blessings? I mentioned a moment ago the fact that we have been saved by the precious blood of Christ, by purifying blood. And to think that, as Paul said, we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. To think that we are rich in Christ. And then not only are we rich in Christ, but Peter said we have refuge in Christ. You know, as a parent, don't we want the absolute best for our children? And don't we provide certain resources for them so that they can enjoy a good life? Sure we do. And you think about in times of trouble or trial or times when our children have been hurt or when, they, you know, you know, when they're hurting deeply, can they not turn to us for encouragement? Can they not lean on us in tough times? Sure they can. So God is our Father. And God is our Father is saying to us, look, you have an avenue through which you can find refuge in times of difficulty. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. That is, his eyes are on the believers, isn't it? And he said, his ears are open unto their prayers. So here is God in heaven sitting upon his throne. When we as his people are hurting in sorrow, when we're suffering, whatever the case may be in life, Peter is saying, look, you have a resource. You have a refuge in me, do you not? Then do you remember over in chapter 5, verse 7, again, Peter's writing to suffering saints. He's writing to folks that are really hurting in life. Back in chapter 4, he talked about committing their souls unto him who is a faithful creator in verse 19. In chapter 5, verse 7, he said, here's what you need to do. You need to cast all of your cares on him, and the reason is because he cares for you. That's a resource, isn't it? I mean, you talk about some of the blessings that we have in Christ. I mentioned the fact a moment ago that we are rich in Christ, and we are. 
but to know that we have a resource in times of difficulty. That there is this refuge that we can turn to. The Bible says in Psalm 46, and the psalmist in chapter 46 of the book of Psalms is looking at the world around him, and what he sees is the world is in an upheaval. And things are discombobulated, as we would say. The wheels have come off. And he said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So even though the world has literally turned upside down and maybe your life is not what it ought to be, the psalmist is saying you can find refuge in God. That's what Peter's saying. And then because we're his special people, has he not promised us a reward? Didn't Peter begin the book by reminding us of the fact that we have a living hope, that living hope is based upon the resurrected Christ? And in light of the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he said we, that is God's special people, that we have an inheritance, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and he said it fades not away, it is reserved in heaven for you. As a child of God, as a believer, as somebody who belongs to the Lord, what he is saying is, look, God has a reserved place for you. God has a place, an eternal abiding place, and it is waiting on you. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 14? In chapter 13, he had announced to the disciples that he would be leaving them. And so in chapter 14, in light of their sorrow and distress, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. In other words, he's saying, in my Father's house are many abiding places. And God is saying through Peter, you have an abiding place. It's waiting on you. It's reserved for you. Now you talk about being special people. You think sometimes in the world in which we live, you think it's possible that we forget about who we are and whose we are? Do you think sometimes we go through life and we look at life pessimistically and we forget about the fact that, look, we belong to God. And God has lavished upon us all these great blessings and we minimize what God has done for us and maximize all the things that we don't have or all the problems we have. We look at life negatively rather than positively. And Peter's writing to people that are hurting. And some ultimately would pay the ultimate price. They would lay down their life for the cause of Christ. And Peter's saying, look, you need to understand something. You're God's special people. And come what may, life, death, doesn't matter. You have a reward waiting on you. That reward, it's in the Lord. Do you remember John in the Revelation? And John is writing in the latter part of the first century to Christians who were suffering immensely. Many were being martyred for the cause of Christ. Many others would be martyred for the cause of Christ. In chapter 6, John sees the souls of those martyrs underneath the altar, crying out, How long, Lord, how long? And so John would say over in chapter 14, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may, listen to him, rest from their labors and their works to follow him. You know what the book of Revelation says in short to a Christian? Here it is. We won. If you're a child of God, 
you will end up on the winning side, won't you? Why? Because you belong to God. No matter what. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see. We talk about how Peter is reminding us that we are believers in the Lord, that we belong to the Lord, but then he addresses our behavior in the Lord. What about our behavior in the Lord? Well, a couple of things here. First, he identifies us as serving people. In other words, we're servants. So he's going to discuss our responsibilities as a royal priesthood. Listen again to him in verse 5. He said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Look at verse 9. He said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Priest under the old law came out of what tribe? Levi, didn't they? They were born into the tribe of Levi and they functioned in a priestly capacity. One of the jobs of priests was to offer up sacrifices. Priests also taught the people, for example, in Ezra chapter 7. Ezra was a priest. And in chapter 7 verse 10, the Bible says he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So they had very specific duties, didn't they? As children of God, as serving people. Peter's saying, look, if you're a child of God, you're a priest of God. Priest under the old covenant offered sacrifices. They taught. Do we not have those same responsibilities resting on us? You remember in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Peter talks about how we are to offer up unto God the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 16, he would say, but to share and to do good, forget not. For with such sacrifices, listen to him, God is well pleased. In Romans chapter 12, he talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your spiritual service. In other words, which is your logical service. In other words, you belong to God. Because you belong to Him, you offer up your body as a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice is holy unto God. And Peter said we are a holy nation a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. So we are a serving people. And there are responsibilities resting on us as priests of God. Now there's also this idea of readiness as a priest. I mentioned Ezra a moment ago back in chapter 7. Ezra, the Bible says, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. As a child of God, are we not, as Paul said, to be ready unto every good work? As a priest of God, as a royal priesthood of believers, are we not to be sitting on go, ready to serve, ready to bring honor and glory to God? Yes. Look, Peter said, you belong to God. Your goal in life, look, look at what he says in verse 9. 
He said that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a priest of God, we have the responsibility of lifting up Christ in this world, don't we? Of shining as a light in a darkened world of sin. To use our influence for good. And you think about the fact that prior to our obedience to the gospel, we were, as Peter said, not a people. But he said, now we're the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now, he said, we have obtained mercy. So in light of all these great blessings that we enjoy, it's time to share those blessings, isn't it? So he says we are a serving people, and then we are a sojourning people. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, here's what, here's what Peter said. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. When I was in elementary school, Thanksgiving, I remember Thanksgiving holidays rolled around every year. One of the things that we did, we talked about the pilgrims that made their way over to America. And they left their homeland and came to a new land. And what Peter is saying is that as a child of God, you're a pilgrim here on this earth. You're just a sojourner. The world, as we know it, is not our home. This, this is not home. Now, there are a lot of folks that have basically put down roots so deep, this world, it is their home. That's, what they, that's, that's how they live. That's how they think. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about those who mind earthly things. They've forgotten. They're a pilgrim. They're a sojourner in this world. But he said, that's not the case for us. He said, no, our citizenship is in heaven, which also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 2, Paul said, set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. Why is that? Because what Peter is saying is, as a child of God, As a child of God, we have, to, we have to understand some things. One of the things that we need to understand is that we're a pilgrim, a sojourner. And that as a pilgrim or sojourner, we better stay focused. It's easy to get our eyes off the mark. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Sometimes we get so consumed with the world we forget about where we're headed. And Peter here reminds us that we are in war. We are at war. Listen to him again. He said, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. You better stay focused. Peter said the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you think the devil cares about us? He doesn't care about us. He wants to destroy us. And Peter's saying, as a child of God, you've got to understand something. He's going to throw a lot of bait your way. And he's going to do everything that he can to ensnare and imprison you. But you've got you to stay focused on the Lord. You've got to remember who you are, whose you are. You've got to remember something about what you're supposed to be doing. It has to do with your behavior. You're a child of God. You belong to Him. 
And so Peter would say, you need to withstand him steadfast in the faith. Let me tell you what, the devil is taking prisoners daily. And he's interested in you. And Peter's saying, you need to understand something. You are a sojourner. You are a pilgrim on this earth. Don't get the idea you're going to be here forever. And you need to understand the devil is out here baiting people. He's baiting you. He's baiting all of us. He's going to do everything within his power to bring you down. And Peter said, you better stay focused. And listen, it's easy to lose our focus in this world. It's easy to lose our focus as God's people. Sometimes we get so caught up in life. We get so consumed with our job. We get so caught up in our hobbies. We get so caught up in what our kids are doing. We forget about keeping the main thing the main thing. We lose our focus. And Peter's saying, if you want to get to the promised land, you better, you better keep your focus. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there talking about those great people of faith? And he said, they look for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about Moses. And he said, Moses looked for the reward. He stayed focused, didn't he? He saw him who is invisible. We better do the same thing. So we've got to stay focused, and then we've got to stay faithful. You can't afford to quit, nor can I. We can't afford to walk away from the Lord. Now, I know sometimes people do. And that's a great mistake. If we walk away from the Lord, we walk away, listen to me, please, very carefully. We walk away from everything. We lose it all. You know what it means to lose everything you have materially, don't you? There have been some people in the past that have bankrupt. They've lost it all. Some have rebuilt. You lose your spiritual identity in the Lord, you've lost it all. Not only have you lost it all, you will lose it all unless you get it right. That's why Peter said, you've got to stay focused and you've got to stay faithful. The Lord wants you to be faithful. Why? Because you've got a home waiting on you. You've got reservations. Here's what Jesus said. Be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. Are you a part of the Lord's spiritual house? Are you what you ought to be in that house? How's your behavior? If you're not a part of the Lord's spiritual house, here's how you can become a child of God. When you are born again, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, you automatically become a priest of God and a saint in the kingdom of God. A very special person. All of your sins are washed away. That's what Peter said on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. God then puts you in the church, the kingdom of God, that spiritual house, Acts 2.47. If you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. James 1, verse 12. Now look, if you're here this morning, and let's just say you're not where you need to be spiritually. Is there hope for you? Yes, there is. 
Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today so that you can enjoy fellowship once again with Almighty God. Won't you come as we stand and sing?